Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Today we're in the listeners' nutrition clinic, and we're going to be focusing on three questions. The first one is all about glutamine and how it can help with recovery after training. The second question is about can you be doing too much training and what is too much? And the third question is to answer how we can support breathlessness following a COVID infection, which is something that seems to affect many runners. Uh, So we hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionists, friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance. And especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for a guidance and advice only, and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Aileen to design a personalised sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. Welcome back everyone. I'm Karen and I'm here once again with Aileen. So today sees the second of our listeners nutrition clinic episodes where we answer questions that we've received from you, our listeners and our followers. Now these are questions linked to your nutrition for your running, your performance and your personal goals as well. So if you do have any questions that you would like us to answer or discuss in this space in the future, then do get in touch with us at hello at runnershealthhub.com. Now, we do host this listeners clinic periodically. What we do is we choose three questions we've received from our listeners to discuss, giving some tips that will hopefully support the individual posing the question, but also give all of you some food for thought. Hi, everyone. It's Aileen here. So the questions that we're going to be answering today uh, uh, the first one is from Anne and she asks, how does glutamine help with recovery after training? What does it do and is it appropriate for recovery and to help leaky gut? And our second question is from Claire and she asks, am I doing too much training and what is too much? And our third question is from Jane and Jane's asking for tips on supporting breathlessness following a COVID infection. And that's something that seems to have affected many runners. So we've got three uh, very interesting and different questions here today and uh, we endeavour to answer them all. And so um, let's consider the first one that's posed by Anne. So over to you, Karen. 
Okay, thanks, Aileen. So Anne is one of our regular listeners, and she posted her question in our free Facebook group, Easy Nutrition for Healthy Runners. And just to recap, her question was, how does glutamine help with recovery after training? What does it do? And is it appropriate for recovery and or to help leaky gut? So let's start by thinking about what exactly is glutamine. Now, glutamine is a conditionally essential amino acid. Now, when we digest proteins um, in food, they're broken down into amino acids. Now, conditionally essential amino acids means that they are usually produced by the body in amounts that are sufficient to meet the body's physiological requirements. However, in some circumstances, so for example, when somebody is critically ill or maybe under heavy stress for whatever reason, the body might not be able to make this amino acid in sufficient quantities that are required. So that is what glutamine is. Now, thinking about which foods glutamine can be found in, it is found in uh, various protein-rich foods ranging from the likes of meats, poultry and fish and seafood, also dairy products, nuts and seeds, soy products, and even in some vegetables. So that's just sort of an insight into glutamine and where you can find it. Eileen, could you maybe go on and explain what role glutamine has in the body? Yeah, well, glutamine's got lots of, it plays lots of roles. And the most important one is this immune modulation role, uh, as well as being involved in many different biological functions. So um, as I said, supporting the immune system, it will help promote the integrity of the gut lining, which is uh, something that Anne's alluded to in her question regarding leaky gut. Um, it helps to moderate the inflammatory response. It stimulates protein synthesis. Um, it's involved in the production of some antioxidants. And also it's got a role in creating uh, glycogen, uh, so glycogen for our, our energy reserves. Um, so lots of different things that it, it's involved in. Yeah, absolutely. And like you say, it's got so many roles. Now, thinking about it regarding sports nutrition, it has actually been researched in relationship to its anti-fatigue role, therefore how it could contribute to recovery from um, training. Now, glutamine is considered to have ergogenic potential with regards to delaying the onset of fatigue. So with all of that in mind, let's think about how glutamine may be helpful uh, for a runner. Now, endurance running at a high volume and intensity could lead to a suppressed immune system. Um, also, exercise-induced digestive systems uh, symptoms and fatigue, so linking to all of those areas you mentioned, Aileen. Now, it's thought that exercise sessions of longer than 60 minutes results in a normal decrease in body's glutamine levels. Now, glutamine then returns to its base level within a few hours of the recovery period. Now, the theory behind glutamine supplementation as an ergogenic aid is to help restore the blood levels more quickly and thereby optimise that physical recovery period. So really, that leads on to ask the question, is glutamine supplementation appropriate for supporting recovery? So Aileen, can you, can you enlighten everyone? 
Yeah, well, I was looking at a, a study, uh, which was a review published back in 2019, so not too long ago. And it was actually based on 55 studies. So quite a, a few um, research studies have gone into this um, this review. And what they observed was that glutamine supplementation did improve some fatigue markers, such as increased glycogen, glycogen synthesis and reduced ammonia accumulation. Um, but they also uh, noted that um, using glutamine as an intervention didn't actually increase physical performance. So their conclusion was that despite um, glutamine improving some fatigue parameters, glutamine supplementation did have some limited effects on, on performance. Um, so, um, yeah, it does seem as though it might help us with recovery, but don't expect it to necessarily help with performance, other than if you recover quickly, you're going to be more ready for your, your next run. Um, so we could move on now to Anne's second um, part of her question was, can glutamine help leaky gut? So um, I don't know if anybody's heard about leaky gut. It's sort of a colloquial term that's um, commonly used to describe intestinal permeability of the gut barrier. So the, the gut lining is a really thin tissue um, which can become leaky due to the, the junctions, which should be tight, the junctions between the cells, which are normally tight junctions, they become weak and wider open than they, they should be. And that can happen, you know, very easily. And it's influenced by lots of different factors. Um, for instance, inflammation, stress, infection, medications, alcohol, um, and also certain foods um, can sort of promote this leaky gut situation. So for instance, gluten is, is one of the foods that um, is probably the most commonly known to affect uh, leaky gut. So when we've got a normal um, gut line and a normal intestinal barrier, that allows the absorption of beneficial nutrients, but it's also preventing the passage of harmful ingested substances, particularly pathogens or toxins, um, getting into the, the blood screen. So it's like a, you know, it's a protective barrier, really. So it, it opens up to let the nutrients go into the bloodstream and it keeps things out of the bloodstream too. Um, so when you do have this leaky gut, I always think of it a bit like a sieve, really. It's just like everything really flow in and out. Um, so when that happens, leaky gut can contribute to digestive and immune related uh, symptoms. Uh, and, you know, Anne asked the question, can glutamine help? Well, yeah, glutamine is one of the many nutrients that are supportive in, in handling and, and healing leaky gut. But there are also other nutrients that are helpful. Um, so that includes vitamin D, zinc, vitamin A, um, polyphenols uh, and many more. And um, I'll put a link to a paper that I read about that um, into the, the show notes. Um uh, then one of the things that glutamine does is it actually is a, a significant source of energy for um, the intestinal mucosa, and that's for the, the to help the the um, cells that are part of the uh, gut lining and also immune cells. So the the glutamine feeds them, if you like, and that will help restore the the gut lining. 
Yeah, so so lots of benefits potentially from glutamine, whether it be in food or in supplement form. But what I would just say here is just a word of caution regarding L-glutamine, which is the form the supplement comes from, uh, comes in. Now, it is contraindicated with any um, anti-convulsant drugs. And there is also some research suggesting that it's not suitable for cancer patients. Now, we're not going to go into that here, but I just wanted to mention it to you. And and as always, um, with any supplementation, it should be reviewed with your, your medical or your nutritional practitioner who will then be able to advise you taking into account your individual health situation. So just a, a word of caution there. Yeah, that was um, really helpful to to mention that, Karen. So hopefully that's answered Anne's question and it's given everyone else some food for thought, excuse the pun, uh, regarding how they may or may not choose to use uh, glutamine supplements for performance or or gut health. So um, that's uh, our answer relating to glutamine. So now let's uh, move on and look at Claire's question. So Claire is a regular podcast listener. Hello, Claire. And uh, she's also a member of our free Facebook group that we mentioned earlier. And Claire's uh, currently training for the uh, 2022 London Marathon on the 2nd of October. So not long to go now. Uh, Claire emailed us with some background to her question and and she said it was okay to share that with you. So thanks for uh, allowing us to do that, Claire. So reminder of what Claire's question is, is am I doing too much training and what is too much? Um, so the first thing that um, I just wanted to to say to Claire and to everybody else uh, listening, and it's something that we, we've mentioned in previous episodes, so just as a reminder, you know, our expertise is in the realm of nutrition. So when we're talking to you about other aspects of run training, we're really just speaking from our experience as runners uh, because we're not running coaches or sports therapy practitioners. Um, but if you do need, um, you know, a referral to an expert in those fields, just let us know and, and we can help you. So let's get on to the background to Claire's question. So Claire is really diligent about her run training plan and um, it includes a few different sessions a week and I'll just sort of run through them. So the, the first one is that she does a long training session a week, which is building up to marathon mileage. Uh, she also does a speed session and I got the impression from Claire's email that this might be a park run and she's quite a fast runner uh, from what she's told us. And then she also adds in a couple of easy runs um, between six and 10 miles um, in distance and she's wondering if she should reduce this mileage. Um, one of the things she also does is track the number of miles she runs each week. And um, she's currently doing about 40 miles a week in total. Um, and she she runs on four days a week. But on the other days, the other three days, what she says is she covers five miles on those days. And that includes what she describes as a two and a half mile jog and a two and a half mile walk. Um, so, you know, question, I suppose, is does that constitute a run too and and mostly she runs in the morning and and she does a a walks in the morning too so that's the the big overview Karen so what's springing to to your mind regarding advice for Claire on her question am I doing too much training and, and what is too much 
Yeah, really interesting, Aileen. Um, first of all, I would just like to say well done, Claire, on your um, London Marathon training. It sounds like it's going really well. And also well done on being intuitive about what your body needs regarding adapting your training and thinking about that. Now, there are lots of different approaches to marathon training. Some focus on mileage and the distance of your long run. Others focus on the duration of your long run. And then various training approaches might include technical training like speed intervals, hill drills, also cross training activities as well to help sort of build that strength, that lean muscle and flexibility. And um, and I think a training plan is uh, very much a personal thing. Um, however, we can share a few insights which you might wish to consider, Claire, and everybody else that's listening. So if we look at your overall week, you seem to have one long run, which we assume is building up to your marathon distance, one speed, speed run, which like Aileen said, we assume is your park run, Two easy runs um, around six to 10 miles, including a warm up jog, and then four days of jog stroke running, equaling five miles. Now, really, the first thing that jumps out to me is that you don't have a complete rest day. And, um, and, and we would highly recommend that maybe you schedule one in every week. It is something that we've recommended in other episodes generally, but for you, Claire, here, um, it, uh, we would highly recommend that you have one rest day per day. Now, you may be active, um, but for you, I would say choose a light activity, which is non-walking and non-running. So, for example, it might be restorative yoga or Pilates class or even a swim, but no targets or measurements, just just doing it for restoration and, and for recovery and rest, really. So that would be um, my principal recommendation for you there. Aileen, what would your suggestions be? Well, I think, um, and I'm sure Claire's already got this in a plan, but just to say that at this stage of your training, uh, you should be planning tapering your training um, so that you, you know, that might naturally help taper your mileage. Um, you've probably already listened to um, our um, London Marathon episode, episode 110, uh, which was published on the 25th of August. But just to recap, um, that was all about um, how you can approach tapering. Um, and tapering is really a gradual reduction in training loads for, for any runner in the days or weeks before a competitive event. And the final phase of tapering should involve a tapering period where your training is lighter. And that's going to help preserve energy and prevent injury because after all those hard weeks of training, um, you, you really need to allow yourself a, a sort of a planned phase of time to get the benefits of all that hard work. And at the same time, you're going to be keeping your legs fresh and ready for race day. Um, and ideally, um, you're going to find a balance between allowing adequate recovery and maintaining fitness. And that's the key really during the tapering phase. Um, so if you carefully control the tapering, it, it can really re lead to significant performance benefits for runners on the day of the race. Um, and there's lots of different ways of implementing a taper. Uh, you can adjust the frequency of your training, the volume of your training, the intensity of training, or a combination of all three. 
Um, so that that would be my main thing is at this stage uh, leading up to the London Marathon. Uh, yeah, and I, tapering. Absolutely, Elaine, I would agree with that. And sometimes I think people neglect that t- tapering phase, but it's really, really important for all those reasons that you've just given. Now, in that episode you mentioned, Aileen, episode 110, um, all about tapering linked to the London Marathon Milestone series, we reviewed some research which suggested that a three-week and a strict taper was the optimal length of time. Now, the taper really needs to include a consistent decrease in training volume over that three-week period and consistency being the key phrase here because research shows that consistency with tapering gets the results. Now some general advice from us you might want to consider um, to include in your three-week taper are the likes of um, Thinking about reducing your longest run um, per week to between the low teens, so thinking about 13 to 14 miles, reducing your total weekly mileage by around 25% and reducing each of your easy runs by 25% as well. Maybe think about um, having one of your shorter runs at a tempo pace, so Um, For example, your goal race pace and think about maybe making one of your um, shorter runs an interval session. Try and think about keeping your pace the same as the training you've been doing, but just cut back on that overall mileage and time on your feet um, is is a, a real recommendation. These are just ideas, Claire, to think about. And remember, um, and I stress this, um, to include one full rest day per week and, and include other light activity recovery days instead. So, um, so that would be um, my recommendations there. And remember that we do have the, the whole series, the London Marathon Milestone series. And um, they were, the, the, I think, the four have so far been released. So there was one on the 2nd of June, the 30th of June, then the 28th of July, the 25th of August. And then the final episode is going to be released on the 22nd of September. So that's episode 113 being prepared for race day. So um, Claire, um, I'm sure you'll be waiting for that episode to come out and to listen to. But anybody else who's currently um, preparing for the London Marathon, it might be um, of interest to you to listen to that as well. So um, um, that would be it, I think. So um, and just a quick re- reminder to Claire to to pay attention to fueling your energy requirements during training. It's so important to adjust and increase your food intake in line with the amount of training that you are doing. So that would be my last word. Great. Thanks, Karen. I know it's a bit nervy for everybody to embrace tapering because you think, oh, my God, what, what if I suddenly can't do it? But um, there's a lot of science and uh, behind the tapering process. So we do encourage everybody to take that on board uh, before your big race. Um, so in summary, Claire, what we're suggesting is one full rest day a week. So no running, jogging, speed walking or long distance walking. Um, take a full day's rest and plan your three week taper leading up to the 
race and just finally remember to pay attention to your fueling during the training phase and and on race day and um, um, you know I know you listen to um, all of our episodes so you'll have got all the tips and information there and uh, best of luck with the rest of your training and, and we'll be cheering you on on uh, the big day yes definitely best of luck Claire and um, we will be thinking of you and everybody else who's taking part in it so hopefully Claire that has really helped to answer your question and given you some direction and hopefully it's also given everyone else um, who to sort of um, some ideas or to think about regarding their training plan whether it be for uh, the London Marathon or any other long event that it needs to include a taper. So Aileen, I think we could maybe take a short advert break now before we move on to answer the final listener question. So I'm going to hand back to you now. Okay, thanks, Karen. Um, So this is the part of the episodes where Karen and I take a minute to talk to you about what we do outside of the podcast. And today we'd like to share with you our one-to-one personalised nutrition services. Um, And the reason for that is that um, health conditions can vary from person to person and the nutritional approach is required Um, really required to be personalized so that um, you've got a nutrition plan that's appropriate uh, for you. Um, And the way we approach it is to help with your own personal health, but also to help you achieve your health and running goals. Um, We've we've designed three programs, uh, which uh, you can have a a look at on our website at runnershealthhub.com. If you look at the Work With Us page on the drop-down menu, you'll find one-to-one personalized nutrition. So what we suggest is if you've ever thought about personalized nutrition and you'd be interested in finding out more, that um, we ask you to book a complimentary call with us. And that way we can find out more about your goals and your health status. And then we can suggest the best way of working with us to get the results that you desire. So, um, you know, whether it's a race goal or whether it's uh, learning to um, manage a health condition to promote your running, uh, we can help with any any particular area. So um, look on the, the website for the Work With Us page and we'll also put a link into the show notes and we'd love to have a, a complimentary chat with you to find out more. Great. Thanks very much for that, Aileen. So now let's move on and look at tips on supporting breathlessness following a COVID infection. And like you say, Aileen, that it does seem to be a symptom that people are left with for long periods of time. Now, Jane asks for tips on supporting breathlessness um, following a COVID infection that she's had. And um, we, we have found that quite a few listeners and um, also Facebook group members have told us that they're finding the same difficulties. So it does seem to be um, quite widespread. And and it's with runners, it seems to be that they're finding it difficult to be anywhere near the run fitness that they had pre-COVID and breathing is difficult and therefore their pace has dropped. So it's something we've heard quite a lot. Now, we're not sure whether Jane's COVID infection is recent or whether the symptoms are related to long COVID, but we do know she didn't have any underlying health conditions prior to this. So Aileen, to start with, could you maybe give some background to what the thoughts are relating to long COVID, what the general thinking is around that? 
Oh, well, where to start? I mean, it's such a big topic. And post-viral fatigue is a common experience following any virus, but especially following COVID. Uh, And what we do know is the symptoms during and following a COVID infection vary wildly from person to person. So, you know, when I was talking about personalized nutrition, um, you know, COVID is certainly one of those situations, you know, one size does not fit all. Mm Mm, absolutely. And I totally agree with you, Aileen. It is such a, a huge question. So it was a difficult, a huge topic. So it was a difficult question to ask you. But from a functional medicine point of view, we always um, investigate it from a, a personalised perspective and really believe that COVID should be supported in the same way. And it's key to identify the underlying imbalances by considering symptoms and also maybe doing some functional testing. And that way, Uh, we find out which body system needs to be supported. Now, body system or body systems. No single nutritional protocol really is appropriate. Now, assuming you have basic nutrition and um, lifestyle foundations uh, consistently in place, then you might want to focus on therapeutic interventions to support that upper respiratory health. Now, as, as we mentioned earlier, a personalised approach is required And it would be supportive to consult with your health practitioner or nutritional therapist. And we can help there. So um, do book a complimentary call with us to find out how we can work together. Look at our our Work With Us page that Aileen was mentioning earlier on our website and and we can we can support you there, Jane. So and that's at runnershealthhub.com. So Erin, what can we do to support symptoms of breathlessness post-COVID? So we're so we're looking at sort of general information here. Yeah, well, breathlessness does seem to be one of the most common symptoms in people with long COVID, and there are several underlying reasons for breathlessness uh, post-COVID infection. Uh, And some may be related to the infection and some may be related to pre-existing conditions. So, you know, unfortunately, if you've already got an underlying lung condition or a genetic predisposition, perhaps a history of smoking or chronic inflammation, all of those things are going to um, contribute to you know, the exacerbation of the breathlessness from COVID. Um, Now, what happens is uh, during a COVID infection, there's a potential for lung tissue and the upper respiratory system to have been damaged or compromised by the infection. Um, And also anxiety around breathing can also exacerbate breathlessness. And now, you know, especially as a runner, breathlessness can feel alien to us. You know, when you're a beginner runner, that breathlessness is one of the things that you ha- you have to learn to manage. And then, you know, when you, your lungs become more conditioned and you get stronger, you know, usually you can, your breathing is something that you've learned to manage. So suddenly to be thrown into this breathlessness situation, it can feel really alien and, it, and so it can be worrying. Um But when I was reading around the subject, I did find some interesting areas to consider. Uh, And the first one was about vitamin K deficiency, which is associated with lung damage and uh, thromboembolism. Um, And both uh, of those conditions um, increase um, 
the severity increases uh, with an in- initial infection and it, it may uh, contribute to a persistent lung damage, which is a, uh, is a factor in, in long COVID. And the theory is that um, pneumonia-induced vitamin K depletion aggravates pulmonary damage. So if a patient is deficient in vitamin K prior to an infection, there's a higher risk of developing long COVID sy- uh, symptoms uh, related to you know breathlessness and respiratory health. Um, now, one of the things we've discussed in previous episodes related to bone health, uh, we've talked about how it, it's really advisable to include vitamin K2 alongside vitamin D um, because vitamin D intake can affect vitamin K status and both are, are really uh, important for healthy uh, calcium homeostasis. And we also know that vitamin D is vital for good immune health and therefore supportive in the management of covid and other viral infections. So um, you might not know if you've been depleted in vitamin K prior, but to think about your vitamin K and vitamin D supplementation might um, help. Yeah, I think that's really interesting, Eileen, because like you say, I don't think vitamin K would be a a vitamin that would spring to mind for for people, maybe vitamin D, but not vitamin K. And I have to say, I do love it when there are connections between the body systems and um, and, and we can see that the the really many benefits from nutrients working in synergy, not working alone. They all sort of work together, don't they, to to support health. Now, just as a reminder, when you are considering vitamin D supplements, do choose those which contain vitamin K2. So um, just as a reminder there. So, Aileen, what are um, other areas you've been exploring linked to breathlessness and uh, potential long covid well, there's, there's also been a lot of research around using mycotherapy. Now, mycotherapy is where certain types of medicinal mushroom supplements um, are used to support long COVID um, symptoms. So medicinal mushrooms act as what they call BRM. So that's biological response modifiers. And they promote homeostasis, which is balance really in the body. Um, and it also helps um promote the healthy functioning of of all the body systems. So the bioactive compounds within the medicinal mushrooms are uh, both antiviral and anti-inflammatory, so may support both the nervous and the respiratory uh, systems. Um, Now, the the mushrooms that I read about were the reishi mushrooms and the cordyceps mushrooms. And in the correct combination and dosage, they seem to be emerging as an optimal uh, mushroom combination for long COVID. Um, And one of the companies that um, we um, use and highly recommend are a a company called Hifa Deterra. And um, they've actually developed um, a a product which is used in in that area. Um, So if you're interested in finding out more about the brand, just drop us an email and we can send you some information. So, the email address is hello at runnershealthhub.com. Um, and um, yeah, that, that might be another simple approach to helping promote, um, yeah. you know, good lung health. Absolutely. You know, the humble mushroom at, at therapeutic levels and supplement form does seem to um, 
be quite powerful in different ways, especially linked to the immune system. So thanks for that. And just to uh, round up on thinking about support for breathlessness, I just wanted to share an interesting approach uh, to supporting people with general breathlessness symptoms. And that's using singing techniques to improve well-being and persistent breathlessness due to COVID. Now, researchers have observed um, participants within the ENO, so the English National Opera Breathing Programme. It's interesting they've got an actual breathing programme going on. Now, it's an online breathing and well-being programme, and the aim really was to help improve quality of life and breathlessness after after having COVID-19. Now, this is one of the first clinical trials to report an effective intervention for people with post-COVID syndrome, also known as as long COVID. I think we all class it as long COVID. Now, the study was published in The Lancet uh, Respiratory Medicine, so uh, a reputable um, uh, journal there. The study found that ENO um, breathe participants experienced a 10.48 point out of 100 reduction in breathlessness whilst running compared to people who just continued with usual care alone. So they also experienced a 2.42 improvement in the mental component of quality of life as measured by um, a validated online questionnaire. Now, I thought that this was really interesting as it as it tended to tackle both the physiological conditioning of breathing, but also made the connection to mental health. And, um, and in case you are interested in learning more about this, this Breathe program, we will put the links um, to the different studies studies that we um, that we found in our show notes and in our blogs. Um, well, that's a, a really interesting approach, Karen, isn't it? Because it's uh, it's all about this social uh, prescribing uh, rather than it just all being about medication. <laughs> and so, you know, doing things, you know, as, as enjoyable as singing um, is great to, to know that we can improve our lung capacity and breathing techniques will be really supportive. Um, so moving on to thinking about being a runner with long COVID, um, are there any, uh, is there any advice, Karen, about resuming run training after COVID? Well, what I would say is if you have had, say, a relatively mild viral infection over two weeks, um, so for example, you haven't been um, hospitalised at all, then maybe starting exercise in a gentle phased approach could be a, a good idea. So maybe start with some gentle walks. So for example, for about 15 minutes, once or twice a day, then after a few days, look at doing um, a bit of some walking, but with a little bit of running in there as well, but really easy pace and also short distances. Then again, after a few days, if you're finding that that is working okay for you and you're not becoming um, breathless, then after a few days, Add an easy pace, continuous jog. Again, just easy pace, like I say, and short distances. So you you get the idea. It's, it's really about building up slowly. Give your body time to adapt. And remember that you, you have 
really must think about um, reconditioning your body before going straight back into your running plan. So it is about building back, building up. Don't try and go straight out and do what you were doing before. And uh, because if you don't ease back in slowly, there is actually a danger that you might get injured or you relapse, which will in the long term delay you reaching your um, your ultimate running goals and, and will affect your, your training going forward. Now, if your infection has been more serious, then please do take advice from your doctor before you think about going back into um, any, any form of, of training and exercise that would be that would be really important yeah well we all know the, re- the frustrations Karen don't we about being away from running and exercise for any reason and and how difficult it can be to get back into it but I think you know the important thing is to have a pragmatic approach and aim to see the bigger picture regarding your long-term health and running goals and um, I think it is a really good idea to adjust your goals and expectations following ill health and just take a really gentle, steady and consistent approach to training. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree, Aileen. So so what I would just say is thanks to you, Aileen, for answering these questions, but also thanks to um, Anne, Claire and Jen, Jane for giving us the, the questions um, to to hopefully... And hopefully we've been able to answer them for you and that it's been supportive for them, but everyone else as well. So now, Aileen, it's time to round up. So what what really would be your final message to our listeners today? Well, I think my message today is just remember that we're all individual and our uh, the recommendations we suggest today might not be suitable for everyone. Um, so if you do feel you require a more personalised approach to your nutrition uh, for your running, do get in touch. Uh, we're always happy to discuss them with you and happy to talk about how you, you could work with us. And as we've mentioned before, we do have that introductory call uh, available via our website at Runners Health Hub on the work with us tab um, at the top of the bar, uh, the toolbar at the top, the menu bar, um, and uh, just click the form, choose a date and um, have a call with us. And I just also wanted to round up today, Karen, by um, saying good luck to everybody who's doing the Great North Run this weekend. Um, And there's been lots of people listening to the Great North Run uh, series with us. Um, If you are in the race uh, why don't you drop us a line and let us know because we'd love to cheer you on um, at the weekend we hope you have a great weekend and a great day and uh, let us know how you get on so good luck everybody yes absolutely i agree i second that good luck to everybody for the day have you got any idea what the weather's supposed to be like Ailey, for it you know i haven't checked it's it's a bit changeable this week uh, in the northeast it's a bit uh, i think everywhere in the uk is a bit you know could be rain, yes. could be dry. Yes. Uh, it's still quite mild here. So, um, mm. you know, Actually, usually it's an okay day. I think there's only been one or, once or twice it's rained uh, yeah. in the last sort of decade. So hopefully it's an okay day for everybody. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Actually, whilst everybody's doing the, the Great North Run, I'm going to be doing the Lake the Lake District Ambleside 25K <gasps> Trail Run. Are you? So thinking of everybody as I'm running the trails and going round the lake. I think it's round Lake Windermere I'm going, but I have heard that it's the, it's the most um, undulating 
sort of race in the whole of the UK. So I'm not sure how it'll be. But anyway, oh, well, have we'll a great weekend tomorrow. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, I'll be cheering everybody. Unfortunately, I've got to fess up. I've had to withdraw this year, which is very, um, it's been a very difficult decision for me. But I'm going to embrace being a support uh, team member this year. Um, so uh, do let me know if you're in it and I'll wave to you and shout from the sidelines. Absolutely. And it is important to listen to your body. And it's very easy for your mind to overtake what your body's trying to tell you. But it's important sometimes to just listen, isn't it? And that goes for everybody out there who's not sure whether they should be doing the race or not, depending on on injury, health, tiredness and so many different factors. So but ultimately good luck to everybody so so that really takes us to the end of today's episode and we do hope that you've enjoyed this um the style of episode and um like we said at the beginning we will be continuing to release these periodically so if you do have a question that you would like us to discuss do let us know, know. get in touch with us by email at hello at runnershealthhub.com and um and we'll then add it to our next episode listeners questions episode so we look forward to hearing from you all and remember everyone don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance well this brings us to the end of another episode of she runs eats performs brought to you by runners health hub helping female runners to be fitter faster and stronger we really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon in the meantime we'd be so grateful if you check us out on itunes and leave a review And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases.